Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Danielle Rodoichen. Welcome to the sixth of the My Big Idea podcasts for ASOS, recorded on location at London Fashion Week. In this episode, I'm talking to Penny Martin, editor-in-chief of The Gentlewoman. I sat down with her between shows to ask her about her impressions of Fashion Week, how she's managed to make her magazine into such a success, and her tips for following a career in fashion journalism. Hi, Penny. Hi, Danielle. Thank you for joining us on the My Big Idea podcast. It's my pleasure. Um, What have you been up to today? Ooh, well, I'm just starting. Um, I've got a couple of shows this afternoon. And then um, there's the Business of Fashion's um, 500 Gala tonight. Um, and they've uh, always been very generous to us at our place. Uh, we're, all, we're part of the 500, so I will be turning up with bells oh, on. Oh, amazing. <laughs> you guest of honour. <laughs> what, sure what happens when you're kind of one of the special guests at those things? Well, I, actually, it's a couple of years since I've been. I was ill last year, but um, there's a kind of, you know, a, um, it's a bit of a kind of industry jamboree and uh, there's a step and repeat board, etc. But I certainly won't be on that. I'll go around the back of that. So you don't have to give a speech or anything? Uh, no, 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 not at all. But you get, you're in the, the magazine. It's actually um, a really delightful thing to be part of. Yeah. People can get sneery about awards, but they're always pleased when they get them and probably a bit put out when they yeah. don't. Where do you, where'd you put the award? <laughs> I don't think there's an actual gong. All right. You just get printed inside. So you the don't get that uh, classic loo doorstopper oh, or whatever. No, then. I may have one or two, but I'm not telling you where I keep those. <laughs> um, so Fashion Week so far, uh, any highlights? Yeah, um, Saturday was really good. Um, I loved uh, Simone Rocha. That was in Southwark Cathedral, which was incredible. Um, It's uh, London's oldest cathedral space, Mm. don't you know? What was it about it that was so strong? Um, It just felt very um, accomplished. It's always beautifully, beautifully made. That's the thing. Um, Time was, when I started in fashion 15 years ago, there was always people would really praise London young designers for uh, their ideas, neatly avoiding pointing out the fact that a lot of the clothes weren't particularly well made or didn't fit the models particularly well. And indeed, sometimes the models weren't really that great either. But it's uh, changed days now. And uh, Simone, of course, has the fantastic uh, manufacturing uh, facilities at her disposal that come with her kind of family legacy. Yeah. You know, her, her father. father John Russia yeah. no longer um, shows at London Fashion Week, but of course, you know, it's in their blood mm. and they really know the business, etc. So she's featured in your magazine before, hasn't she? Do you yeah. know her personally? Yes, I do. Um, and in fact, our Gentlewoman Club's about to do an event with her, which we haven't announced yet. Oh, well, can you can tell I us give you about a little it? Scoop, yeah, yes, please. And we're going to do a poker night. Um, in that interview, she spoke a lot about the fact that when she goes back to China to see her relatives, uh, they're all mad gamblers. And that she has these wild gambling nights Amazing. with her aunties, etc. So she's really good at poker. I almost thought, oh, that'd be really good for our gentlewoman club. Do you know what that is? No, tell We've me all about a, it. Well, as well as running the magazine, obviously it's twice a year. So yeah. there's a big kind of gap. For, not for me. I'm meanwhile at Fashion Week and selling ads and all that other stuff that comes with uh, being an editor. But 
Um, we decided that there was so much uh, desire from our readers to have some kind of contact with us in between and we had this massive mailing list of people that wanted information about the magazine that we started doing events with our readers so there's this club of actually now 28,000 people so it's my job to wow. come up with events so things like you interview Simone Russia and she mentions this and you think oh that would actually be quite a good um, event for us because they tend to take the character of um, things that tend to be male events. We like this kind of idea of women inveigling themselves. So into when you say male, like male, a man gentleman's club oh, and see. the kind of right. poker yeah. table, etc. Yep. Of course, women play poker, but you think of it as a much more masculine environment. So it's perfect context for a kind of girls' night. So she's going to be hosting that with us, and so, anyone can come to these events. Yeah, um, well, with that one, um, I think there's 40 places, and um, people just apply for a place. And is you, that that's, via the website? Or? Yeah, yeah, you can yeah. sign up for the uh, event. They're all free. But we've done really nice things. We did um, a, a trip, a, a sort of day trip down to Somerset with Paul Smith. He came on the bus with us, went down to um, Durstlade Farm, which is the Hauser and Wirt Art yeah, Gallery. Amazing. It was great, yeah, and he designed a picnic blanket <laughs> for us, and we had an amazing... I'm imagining, this, like, Beatles' magical mystery tour type It was exactly bus, yeah. like that. <laughs> and, God, he was brilliant. We did this Q&A, a bit like kind of tour, bus tour guides. Felt like I was in Heidi High. Um, and uh, What's uh, Paul Smith like on those kind of things? Oh, exactly, as you would hope he would be totally gregarious sort of mannequin kind of you know physical farce he's kind of like chaotic <laughs> and full very um forthcoming and we did an interview and he told all sorts of really kind of interesting stuff about himself yeah i mean he's 70 he gets to say what he likes and he is what he is he, he showed a really beautiful collection last night yeah. kind of very kind of uh, relaxed and linen-y and kind of um had really nice espadrilles with all the kind of paul smith ribbons oh, etc yeah. i saw really you nice instagram that picture yeah i just felt <laughs> it was really relaxed sometimes you think of the tailoring it's a bit strict and formal mm. and a bit kind of work clothes for some people's palette and there's actually a lot more to offer there. So obviously his trip down to Somerset really loosens him up. Mm, that's good to know. <laughs> um, so what's been, what are the big stories coming out of London Fashion Week this season? Because obviously, I, you know, New York, there was a lot of buzz about the Kanye show and how all the models were fainting. There was a lot of talk about see now, buy now, off the runway. Um, well, that was all touted in advance. That's still, not something that's... It feels that's... like it's been quite quiet here so mm. far. Is that just me? Well, that buy now, see now um, uh, sort of uh, story, I guess, is going to come to its kind of a, a fulcrum tonight where um, the Burberry show happens and um, they've done something quite interesting. Well, it's, uh, certainly for about <laughs> a few months they've been asking uh, editors to come in and do a secret advance um, viewing of Have this they? thing that's so going to be revealed tonight. Well, oh. uh, actually, a, a flood prevented it oh. uh, at their space. But um, so <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Yeah. As much as it's an a, you know spontaneous mm. I now see now. Actually, there's some of the kind of old. Um, uh, structures of fashion right. with the kind of lead time viewing process built in. So I don't it's know quite how different it really is from the old editorial mm. system in a way. But what's very interesting for them, obviously they've put so much store by all their digital activities for the past few years, and you think of Burberry being really kind of bound up with social media, etc., that they're returning to some of the things that we associated with them back in the day, 15 years ago, when it was all about kind of craft and British manufacturing, because they've teamed up with these uh, people, the new craftsmen, and they've built a place, now God, I'm going to forget the name it's something like the house of craft or something like that and there's going to be some kind of experience in advance which is all about british craftsmanship and and one-off um, um you know craft 
Yeah. Uh, it's in quite nice. It's kind of a counterpoint to the madness of exactly. social media. Yeah. And also the kind of um, remoteness of digital. It's actually something that's haptic and physical and about texture mm. and about you know having something in your hands, which I think has actually felt very distant from um, Burberry's brand values for the past mm. few years. So maybe they're trying to bring the two back together again, having mm. gone so wholeheartedly into something so digital. That's interesting, actually. And I was going to ask you a bit about that in relationship to your magazine. So you are editor-in-chief of The Gentlewoman, which is a biannual. Yeah. Um, and how do you reconcile that with the pace of what happens on social media and trying to stay current? You've already mentioned your club. I think you would say that our magazine's an antidote or a response to digital. I mean, I used to work on in, at the digital pace. I was editor-in-chief of the... Gen, uh, of, um, uh, show studio from 2001 to 2008 and you know that my activity my sort of creativity uh, was to be totally responsive and and you know uh, initiating things that were happening all the time and with a kind of great deal of digital momentum to then work on a, a print publication especially one that's biannual was to step away from that idea of um creating uh, on-demand content or, or like a kind of almost like a live program like television programming to make something so definitively periodical um, it's only twice a year and therefore it's not really about a conversation with your reader it's about a really considered viewpoint for somebody that wants to consume something from a single perspective which I think is really different and I think that in a way the, the quality magazines are the ones that I think are quality have really peeled away from trying to um, keep lockstep with digital communication or indeed um, respond to it. I mean, I think the worst kind of magazines that are being made at the moment are the ones that are making journalism that sort of reads like digital online content. The, the point is that the two should be be completely separate because they're, they're a different kind of com- conversation. If you want to be online, you want to sit forward in your seat and you want to be typing away and sort of consuming and, and bringing things towards yourself. If you're reading a magazine, you're sitting back, aren't you, with your magazine well open and you're reading somebody else's viewpoint. You're not really in the editorial conversation in the way that you are digital. And, and I think they're two completely different kind of experiences and that's a really good thing. Hmm. It's really interesting. Um, and now just going, sort of talking about your career, obviously you've done the digital thing and you've done the magazine mm. thing and um, I have some questions from our interns oh, yeah. who are really keen to know a few things with regards to your career, such as... <laughs> God help them. <laughs> did you know what you wanted to do when you were still at school? I thought I did, yeah. Um, I was going to university and I was going to do art history and I would work in a museum probably or maybe as a curator because that was the kind of job that seemed interesting at the time and that's exactly what I did I did a four-year degree which is what you do in Scotland if you're lucky Um, I did an MA honours in um, art history and then I went to Manchester uh, that was in Glasgow and then I went to Manchester and did a museums diploma which there were two that in uh, that time which was what 94 95 Um, and then I went to work for Manchester University um, as a curator at the National Museum of Photography, Film and Television in Bradford which was um, the Science Museum's photography collection and I was there for a couple of years before I came down to London to do my PhD so yeah I was on a really academic uh, trajectory and I worked in the Women's Library which is then called the Fawcett Library, the oldest collection of women's history in the world where there was the biggest and most important collection of women's magazines interestingly enough and that actually wasn't my job but I kind of would moonlight 
in the library at night and read all because that's where um, Cynthia White who wrote the first book kind of academic book on women's magazines is it called Women's World something like that um, and she'd based all her research on that collection and I was at the V&A RCA's History of Design Department doing my PhD when Nick Knight came to see me about possibly editing this website and that was the big change I mean at that point I was kind of on my way to becoming an academic I might have ended up as a curator probably working on a collection of commercial photography or something like that and in, it would have been why do you think Nick was keen to work with someone who was from an academic background as opposed to a fashion background a I show don't studio? know if he necessarily was consciously after that Alice Rosthorn had recently left uh, the, uh, the sort of start of show studio um, to become the uh, um, director of the design museum she had started commissioning text when Peter Savile and Nick Knight Peter, the, the um, creative director Peter Savile and the photographer Nick Knight had set up show studio and it had been going for about six months and they had employed an arts editor who was going to do sort of editions and box sets and t- turn it into a kind of shop and she had been at university with me and they knew they needed somebody that kind of was curatorial but had a kind of literary background and actually I just I think they knew they needed somebody to do inverted commas the text but there really wasn't a comparable job description it wasn't like there was as many sort of digital creation bodies as and an editorial sort of out uh, outfits like there are now and I think it was just a case of somebody that they knew and it was a huge gamble for, probably I mean for him definitely because I wasn't in any way qualified to do that and then for me because you know I had a job with like <laughs> maternity leave and a contract and I, he literally said to me I can offer you three months work till Christmas and I don't know if it'll be going after that but it just so happened that the circumstances in my own life at that time were so um, extreme uh, and I was undergoing such a massive change in my personal life etc that I, I felt ready to sort of, you know throw caution to the wind but it was a crazy move and as it mm. turned out an unbelievably advantageous one but I mean had no reassurance that it'd be any way different I had the most bizarre job uh, interview where um, Nick was shooting um, the Christian Dior campaigns as he did then uh, for um, John Galliano and I had to go to the set of a shoot that they were doing for um, the design museum because it was pre 9-11 and there was a big show going to happen of John Galliano's work at Dior and Nick was shooting one image per camp per collection as this big kind of um, visual context for the exhibition to happen and uh, I think they were on like the fourth collection or something like that and they needed a strong man, a snake charmer and something else and it was me and them in the green room and I was just like staring around and I can remember I was dressed like I was kind of going to a, a job to become a temp in the city or something like that I was wearing kind of my best trousers and my best shirt or something and uh, I was sitting next to these kind of wild guys um, and this guy with pigtails came in and said, oh, are you Penny? And I got introduced to him, and, it, you know, and he was wearing a spandex sort of um, onesie <laughs> with a scooped-out front, a bit like Freddie Mercury. And then I looked back and I realised that was John Galliano. It was the most bizarre thing. Wow. He invited me into my interview, and then Nick Knight had no idea how to conduct a job interview. It was just his first question was, are you married? I was thinking, well, I don't think you're allowed to ask that professional the HR department of the university I've just come from. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it makes absolutely no sense. So that's when I you fell up. in love with the idea of working in fashion. Well, I don't know. I, I no, I, I I think I just knew I wanted to work for Nick Knight. Mm. I think 
he's kind of got Jedi mind tricks and these really pale blue eyes. He could get you to do anything. Mm. That's, that's how he gets all those photos out of those people. Why did you want to go and work for a magazine after that then? Well, that wasn't the initial um, jump. Uh, I worked there for about, at the library, and at, so I show studio for about seven years and I think I'd kind of come to the end of kind of being able to work in that environment and I started to think, oh, well, maybe I'll go off and do something, you know, do my own work. Mm. Um, and uh, I was offered a job as the chair of fashion imagery and film back in academia at London College of Fashion University Arts London. Um, and I went off and became Professor Penny for a bit. How did but, you find that? Uh, I realised I, I couldn't actually go back. Um, I didn't realise how much I'd changed as a result of being working in fashion and I couldn't, couldn't go back to that very solitary kind of creativity. And as greedy and as kind of um, uh, desiring of sole authorship as I thought I was, I actually couldn't be without the kind of colleagues that I'd been working with. And having worked in a... Uh, a, a studio with kind of seven other people like working flat out producing four projects a week and that kind of momentum and creative sort of excitement the pleasure uh, such as it was of doing stuff on my own really slowly because of course you're not as productive on your own without that kind of context was really I felt buried alive actually mm. um, so I'd sort of been a bit denatured like an mm. egg that had been boiled I couldn't, couldn't go back to being a sort of fluid egg white um, that was required to go back to academia so I very quickly went back to Jot van Bennekom and Gert Jonkers who had approached me whilst I was still at Show Studio to ask me if I wanted to um, edit a magazine and that's what we did. So I know that again the interns on my team will be wondering about the context you said you know Nick Knight approached you and so on what are your tips for how important do you think it is to network and what's a good way to go about it? Well, I think before you network, you need something to offer. And um, there are many bright, switched-on, um, informed, polite people in the job market to choose from. And, you know, you need something a bit different. You do need expertise. So I think that the reason that I continue to get employed, or certainly the reason I got employed in the first place, was I had something different from all the other people kind of walking in the door. And as bizarre as it was, it was like four years in an archive and, you know, ten years in the library and just an absolutely fanatical knowledge rather than pure ambition mm. and kind of willingness alone. Um, so I think that you, you need something special and something different. Uh, you need to get to the library, you need to know the industry and not just what's on television and in magazines. And you I mean, must have some good resource recommendations as well. Yeah, I mean, your average public library is pr- pretty well... Um, Sourced, and I think. What should you look for when you go into the library? What's a good place to start? Oh, periodicals. Make sure you understand the history of the thing that you purport to be interested in. It's all very well subscribing to a few issues, but you need to understand the language that most creative directors and editors um, use, and that tends to be a kind of mental mood board of tear sheets. You need to know the history of magazines if that's what you're. If that's the aspect of journalism you want to be in, whatever format it is. I mean, it, I don't care whether it's printed or it's radio or it's TV, you, you, you need to know the history of fashion media and have a viewpoint on it and then know something outside it as well, I suppose. My expertise was that I'd worked in the art world and I'd worked in museums. And, you know, I'm just curious about other people. It's amazing how many people are just interested in themselves in journalism. You know, you can generally tell them because the first wor- um, word of every article start is the same, I. Yeah. You know, um, 
so uh, yeah, you, you you need to be ambitious about the field and really opinionated about writing, etc., rather than just being willing to pick up the phone and answer the door, which is also important. Well. It's really interesting, and um, I just want to say as well, I've never seen everyone around this table and my team looking so wrapped at what someone's saying. So and I've hardly, <laughs> you've, you've spoken so much, I've hardly had to interact at all. Yeah, that's just um, it. They probably can't believe that I've managed to say so much without taking breath. At the beginning, you were like, how are you going to fill 15 minutes? And I was thinking just now, oh my God, we've already run over. Yeah, come to but, me um, if you want opinions. <laughs> no, it's been great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And what are you going on to do now? I am off to Christopher Kane and then Joseph, and as I said, the business of Fashion 500 before flying off to Milan. Amazing. Thank you so much. It's been really, really lovely having you on. Thank you for asking me. That was Penny Martin talking to me at London Fashion Week. Don't forget to download previous episodes of My Big Idea for more advice on fashion careers. And you should also check out the ASOS magazine fortnightly podcast, These Four Walls. I'm Danielle Rodeutchen. Thanks for listening. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.